All right, so um, today I want to go into, as Najee mentioned before, the, the song we just sang, it's Pentecost Sunday, which uh, was the time where the Holy Spirit came. And I want to pray that as I'm teaching here today, as we're talking about Sabbath keeping, uh, you're like, well, that doesn't sound like a, a Holy Spirit kind of message. It is a Holy Spirit kind of message. I want to pray that as I'm preaching this here, that the Holy Spirit would really speak to us in profound deep ways today. As we're in the series on vital signs, a pathway to deep beneath the surface transformation, for the last two weeks, uh, I've been teaching on the importance of scripture, that we cultivate a relationship with God through scripture. And today and next week, uh, we're going to talk about Sabbath. And, and there's three pe- kinds of people in this room, before I even talk about uh, Sabbath here and go into Exodus 20, there are three kinds of people in this room that are going to hear this message. The first group of people are those of you that maybe you're new to new life and you've never heard about the concept of the Sabbath and spiritual formation. And so this might be very new for you, and, and this is a, a great day that you're here. Others of you, maybe you have heard Sabbath and you try to practice Sabbath, but you realize... I could not do it at all, and you gave up. You were just like, it sounds wonderful, but ah, maybe it's for somebody else. And a third group of people are those of you that have practiced Sabbath, but you want to grow deeper into it. And so regardless of who you are, I believe God wants to speak to us in profound ways as we look at this text in Exodus chapter 20. And so I'm not going to be able to say everything in 30 minutes at the end of the first service. He'll be like, but, but what about this, Pastor Richard? What about this, Pastor 30 minutes is not going to give you all of the questions uh, that we have. So we're going to look at it next week again. But let's pray. Let's invite God to speak to us as we enter into this passage of Scripture today. Lord, thank you for this Pentecost Sunday. And Lord, I pray that you would visit us by the power of your Spirit as we look at Scripture today. Lord, set your people free. Uh, Make us into the people that you've desired us and you dream for us to be. We offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. There's a story the Greeks told about a king named Sisyphus who had become really good at deception. And so as a result of his deceptive ways and his schemes, the punishment for Sisyphus was that he was to roll a large stone up a hill and onto the other side, except that when he got to the top of the hill, the gods enchanted the stone so that it would roll all the way back down and he would have to begin again. And so day after day, he would say, today is the day where I get the stone over the hill only to get to the top of the hill and the stone would roll back down again. The next day he'll say, today is the day where I deceive the gods, I overcome the gods and I get this, the stone over the hill. He'd bring it to the very top, the pinnacle of the hill and he would try to push it over and it'd roll down again. And so each day he would do this and on and on and on it went. Now, you and I have uh, never rolled a stone up a hill like King Sisyphus, but you and I know this feeling every time we do laundry, every time we do laundry. Have you ever done laundry and like one day goes by and two days go by and you say to yourself, didn't I just do laundry? How is it possible that I find myself doing laundry again or take the dishes Have you ever done the dishes and then dried the dishes 
and then put the dishes away. And then two hours later, you look in the sink and go, didn't I just wash every single dish in the kitchen and you have to do it all over again? Or take your email inbox. And you, you responded to every email and you sent every email, you emptied in your email, you deleted every email and not responded to people. And you blink and five seconds later, 10 more emails have come up and you're wondering, I feel like I've just accomplished this. Or if you're a parent feeding children, if you're a parent feeding children, there are times I wonder, didn't I just feed you? Why do you want to eat again? Why, why do you want to eat again? It seems like on and on it goes. It just never seems to stop. And many of us, uh, this is like our experience where work seems to never stop. And work seems to go on and on and on. But just because work never seems to stop doesn't mean that we can't stop. And actually, we need to stop periodically for the sake of our souls, for the sake of our families, for the sake of our world. This is why we need the gift of Sabbath. And so it is out of this simple truth that, that I want to share that really I want to unpack the book of Exodus, and it is this. Ultimately, we don't keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath keeps us. Let's all say that together. We don't keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath keeps us. If we can get this central truth at the deepest part of our being, it'll change the way we live in the world. In Exodus chapter 20, we hear uh, the word of the, of the Lord in terms of what does it mean for us to live a rhythm, a, a sustainable life rhythm unto God. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse number eight, hear the word of the Lord. Moses writes, Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you or your son or daughter or your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy and made it holy. When we read Exodus chapter 20, there are two important things to know right off the bat. And if we don't get these two important things, we're going to have a hard time really understanding the implications of Exodus chapter 20. The first thing is this, that the Ten Commandments, this is part of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were not given as a means of salvation, but as the result of salvation. In other words, the Ten Commandments, God never intended the Ten, the Ten Commandments to be the thing by which people enter into relationship with God. And I know that because of this reason. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he had already rescued the people of God from Egypt. And then he gave them the Ten Commandments as a way of saying, this is how I want you to live as redeemed people. Notice what God didn't do. He did not give them the Ten Commandments while they were still in Egypt and said, if you live these things the right way, then I will deliver you from Egypt. No, it didn't go like that. Salvation came first, and it is out of that, out of that place where he said, now, since you've been rescued, there is a particular way that I want you to live in this world. And that's really important because to, that simple understanding contradicts the way of religion in the world. Religion essentially says that life is based on human performance. 
Your relationship with God is based on your human performance. If you do X, Y, and Z, then God will rescue you. Then God will love you. But the story of Scripture is not about human performance. The story of Scripture is about God's performance. What God has done for us and in us, especially in the person of Christ, and it is out of his performance that he says, now that I have rescued you, there is a new way of being in the world. And so God's love always comes first. His love is unconditional, and he gives the Ten Commandments to be the expression of a redeemed life. That's the first thing it is important for us to know. The second thing is important for us to know about the Ten Commandments is the proportion of the Ten Commandments. If you read in the book of Deuteronomy or the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments, you notice that the Sabbath takes a large portion of the Ten Commandments. Though he says, you shall not have any other God before me. You shall not have any graven images. Uh, you, you, you know, you shall uh, remember, remember the Sabbath. He gives all these things before God. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. But when he talks about the Sabbath, he gives long commentary. And the question is, why does he give so much commentary? Why is, in terms of proportion, there's so many words as it pertains to the Sabbath, but there are not many words as it pertains to the other commandments? Now, many rabbis believe that the reason this is so is because the Sabbath is the bridge towards the first three commandments and the last six commandments. The first three commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The last six commandments have to do with our relationship with each other. And many teachers and rabbis believe that if you cannot keep the Sabbath and live this kind of rhythm that God has for us, you're going to have a hard time doing the other commandments all together. The question, though, is why does the fourth commandment, the Sabbath, take up so much space? Here's what might be happening. For 400 years, the people of God had one identity. Their identity was that they were slaves. And it was the job of slaves to work. Their very existence was predicated on their ability to work. And if you could not work, you were not fit to live. And so this is for 400 years, this is their identity. Rene Descartes, the uh, the famous philosopher, coined the, 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 the term, I think, therefore I am, The people of God for 400 years would have this as their model for life. I work, therefore I am. And many cultures, uh, many of you come from cultures that this is your life motto. I work, therefore I am. And, and, and this is their fundamental identity. So when the, the, the Ten Commandments come, it is a, it's coming against the identity that they have lived for 400 years. And their problem is not a problem that we're unfamiliar with. Actually, our society falls into the same trap of this, this, this line here, I work, therefore I am. Our society knows this too well. From a very early age, um, one of the first questions we ask children is, what do you want to be when you grow up? When we ask that question, we're not thinking about their character. We're not thinking about their morality. We're not thinking about virtue. We're thinking about career. We're thinking about vocation. We're thinking about work. They're five years old. What do you want to be? Do you have it all figured out yet? No? What are you waiting for? And it's not that it's a bad question, but let's just call it what it is. We tend to be overly preoccupied with work. 
Now, at New Life, we believe and we teach that work is inherently a good thing. God created work. Work was established before sin entered into the world. I know you go to work on Monday and you don't believe that. You think your job is a result of sin entering into the world. No, 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 no. When God created work, he created it before sin entered into the world. So work was created to be good. Sin enters into the world and it taints work. So we, ha we have the struggle that we have with work. I, I, we snooze five times. Why? Because I don't want to go to work. Because work now, because sin entered the world, has been tainted. But originally, it was a really good thing. And so the problem really is not necessarily with work. The problem that we have is with overwork. Overwork is the problem. And so work very easily and overwork becomes a powerful force that crowds out any connection with God. And so it's safe to say that our world is obsessed with working. And this obsession has led to a pace of life that is not sustainable. And actually our uh, pace of life has led us to being violent people, violent people. Now, when we think about violence, we have images that come to mind. We think of wars, we think of gangs, we think of riots. We say, oh, that's violence. But there are other images of violence that many of us don't give thought to. When, when you're working three hours after you were supposed to be home already, violence. When you're home and you realize, I have no time for, I, I got to work, violence. What is it we're doing? We're doing violence against our souls. And the violence against our souls leads to violence against our world. I like what Wayne Mueller said. Wayne, Wayne Mueller said it this way. He says, a successful life has become a violent enterprise. We make war on our own bodies, pushing them beyond their limits. War on our children because we cannot find enough time to be with them when they are hurt or afraid and need our company. War on our spirit because we are too preoccupied to listen to the quiet voices that seek to nourish and refresh us. War in our communities because we are fearfully protecting what we have and do not feel safe enough to be kind and generous. War on the earth because we cannot take the time to place our feet on the ground and allow it to feed us, to taste its blessings and give thanks. We live a violent life. You ever notice if you ask any person, how are you doing? Nine out of 10 times, our response is busy. How's it going? Busy. And we say that for two reasons. The first reason we say that is just in case someone's about to ask us for a favor. We just want to let them know, I have no time to help you. How are you doing? Busy. What do you want? Uh, just, do you have gum? Oh, yeah, I can help you with some gum. I can help you with some gum. But if there's anything else, I'm busy. So we want to just preemptively let you know, I have no time to help you. What is it? I'm busy. But the second reason why we say we're busy is because... We're busy. <laughs> we are tired people. We are overworked people. And we believe that the way to deal with our busyness and our exhaustion is simply to go on vacation. We believe that if I go on vacation, vacations are the secret sauce to a centered, joyful, balanced life. And, and what we find is this, this, this rhythm here that we live. And I've showed this before, that this is the secular rhythm that we think brings us joy. It's like this, work, 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 work. Vacation, thank you, God. Work, 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 work. Vacation, thank you, God. But we soon find out that after the vacation is over, we're more tired after vacation than we were before we went on vacation. 
And there's actually something called the post-vacation blues. That as you come from vacation, you realize, I'm even more tired and exhausted than I was before. This is terrible. And now I have to go back to work. And we think, if I just take a vacation, this will solve the problem. No, no, no. It doesn't solve the problem. There is another way of being in the world, which is more of a sacred rhythm, a Sabbath rhythm with this, uh, the, 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 the relationship between work and Sabbath, and Sabbath and work, and resting and working. And we need it because most of us are struggling to find breathing room with everything we have before us. And so we are wrestling with an ancient problem here. The ancient problem is busyness and overwork. This is an ancient problem. We're slaves to our work. And an ancient problem needs ancient wisdom. And God has given us the Sabbath as an ancient gift to remind us that we just don't keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is to keep us. The question is, what is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? And there are many fantastic definitions. Here's just a really simple definition about the Sabbath. It's a 24-hour period with no have-tos or shoulds, which results in deep rest and renewal. A 24, that's not, that's not like a, a, um, a metaphorical 24-hour period. It's like a literal 24-hour period with no have-tos or shoulds, which results in deep rest and renewal. And throughout, the church, throughout church history, there have been three ways to see the Sabbath. The first way has been to see the Sabbath as legalism. Sabbath, on the Sabbath, it, it reminds me of everything I can't do. And some of you came from that kind of culture. After the first service, I met a few folks that saying, the Sabbath, oh, every time I, the, my parents talk about the Sabbath, it was like, you better not be playing any video games, and you better put the dominoes away, put the cards away, read the Bible, go pray. And so it became like a legalism, reminding me of everything that I cannot do. So the Sabbath was legalism. The other way that the church has seen the Sabbath is by uh, irrelevance. Oh, that's the Old Testament. That has nothing to do with us today. We're Christians now. The Sabbath has no bearing on our lives. And so legalism on one side, licentiousness or irrelevance on the other. But we want to be at the middle where, where the Sabbath is a spiritual formation practice. A spiritual formation practice. The 24-hour period, no have-tos or shoulds, which results in deep rest and renewal. And so ultimately, listen, the Sabbath is an invitation to a life that isn't dominated and distorted by overwork. In your life, if I, if I had a, mostly every Sunday, I greet you guys downstairs and say, how's it going? Most of the people, I'm tired, Pastor Rich. I'm exhausted, Pastor Rich. I'm busy, but I got to do something right now. And, and, and could you imagine there is an invitation to you from God to have a life that isn't dominated or distorted by overwork? work. And so the core of the Sabbath is to connect us to rest, the source of rest, first of all, and the practice of rest. The Sabbath is connected to the source of rest, and the source of rest is Jesus. And so every Sabbath, it's to deeply connect us to Jesus. And on and on, you see in the New Testament, Jesus did so many of his miracles on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders would get so upset with him. Jesus, why do you keep doing, why couldn't you heal this guy on Wednesday? Jesus could have healed him on Wednesday, but Jesus decided, no, I'm going to heal this person on the Sabbath. Why does Jesus always heal people on the Sabbath, even though the religious people are going to be upset? Here's why. Jesus, first of all, was Lord of the Sabbath, and he wanted to connect people with who he was, basically saying, on the Sabbath day, my, my, when you see my presence on the Sabbath day, I, my presence is one of restoration and renewal. 
And so the Sabbath, first of all, is connected to deep, the deep source of rest, which is Jesus. Jesus is a deep source of rest. He gives us the rest that we need beneath the rest. We, some of you have, are physically exhausted, but there's a, a rest that is beneath this physical exhaustion. You just don't need a nap. You need rest for your anxiety, rest for your restlessness. And Jesus doesn't want to just give you a nap. He wants to give you deep, abiding rest in your life. And so the Sabbath is to connect you with the source of rest, which is Jesus. The other thing the Sabbath is to do is really is to connect us to a, a life of trust, to a particular practice. Sabbath is about trust. The reason many of us don't do Sabbath is because trust. We have a hard time trusting God. And I know this because the degree to which you're able to trust is the degree to which you're able to rest. Think about it this way. Have you ever been in a car with someone that you did not trust their driving? And they're driving, you're going, oh, God. You're slow, and you're, you're hitting your imaginary brake as they're driving, and so they're getting to a stop sign, you're just hitting it with them. It's like you can't do anything about it, you know, but you're just, you're just, just in case. You're just, if you don't trust the person driving, you're not taking a nap while they're driving. You're not saying, no, 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 let's go, I need to take a nap. No, you're, you're looking at everything. Because where there's no trust, there is no rest. If you've ever been on an airplane and you don't trust the pilot or you don't trust a plane in general, you don't trust aerodynamics for whatever it is, you don't trust it, you're going to have a hard time resting on the plane. Or take relationships for that matter. If you don't trust your boyfriend, if you don't trust your girlfriend, if you don't trust your husband, if you don't trust your wife, every time they leave the house, you're wondering, what are they doing right now? I wonder what they're doing right now. If there is no trust, assuredly there is no rest. Where are you right now? What's going on? What's happening? If there's no trust, who is that voice in the background? There is no rest at all. And the same applies with God. The same applies with God. When you carve out a 24-hour period to rest, what you're essentially saying is, God, I trust you. I trust that you'll take care of my needs. I trust that while I'm resting, you are working. I trust that I'm going to let go of control because I trust that ultimately you are in control. And the Sabbath essentially uh, reminds us that we are not in control. We're letting go of the illusion of control when we rest. Or as Barbara Brown Taylor has said, human beings do not lose control of our lives. What we lose is the illusion that we were ever in control of our lives in the first place. On the Sabbath, we say, I'm going to rest and trust in God. When we rest, when we keep Sabbath, we say, Lord, I trust in your love as the foundation of my identity. I'm trusting in your love as the foundation of my identity. And most of us, our identities are, is in our work, is in our performance. This is why when some people get laid off, it's like they want to die. Why? Because so much of our identity is built into what we do. And if I, if my, if I no longer do what I'm known for doing, who am I? I'm nobody. The Sabbath says, no, you are somebody. Who you are is not based on what you do. Who you are is based on who you're in relationship with. And so Descartes would say, I think before I am. The Hebrews would say, I work, therefore I am. Christians say, I am loved, therefore I am. My identity is based on the love of God, 
Not in my performance, not in my achievements, not in my accomplishments at all. My identity is based on the love of God. And if the Holy Spirit can infuse, infuse us with that truth, we will live differently in the world. No longer striving to be anybody because my ultimate identity is found in the love of God. And if we can rest in that truth, our lives will be different. And so the Sabbath really is a 24-hour period to live out that truth. Do you really believe your identity is based on the love of God? If you believe that, then rest. If you believe that, then stop working for a 24-hour period. If you believe that, stop trying to perform and accomplish and, and, and try to get better than somebody. Competition. Just let go of competition. Let go of striving. If you really trust in his love, the invitation is, then rest. That our identities are based on his love. And so this is what I want. I want to just end our time here by giving us some very practical handles as to how do we do this? Because for some of you, this is like, you want me to do what for 24 hours? Let me just explain what I mean by the Sabbath for 24 hours. And I want us to... Um, to do this as a community. The only way we can keep Sabbath is that three things happen in our lives. Really, the, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do it. We have a community around us, and we have discipline. That's the only way we're going to keep Sabbath. Unless we have those three things, uh, we're going to have a hard time doing it. So I want to spend a few moments talking about the, the, the need for community and practicing Sabbath. In 2010, we experimented with this we did a sermon series throughout the season of Lent on Sabbath keeping. Many of you were here. And we, for the Sabbath, for 40 days, we said, hey, every weekend, let's practice the Sabbath as a church together. Wherever you are in the city, that you stop for 24-hour period. And many of you had so many great stories and how God met you. But we, we stopped doing that. And one of the reasons we stopped, honestly, because uh, Pete and I, we were just afraid of legalism, afraid that this would become a new legalism. And so we, we stopped that, but we're realizing now the pace in New York City is so violent that if we don't do this as a church family and know that other people are doing it together with us, we, we don't have a chance. Our families don't have a chance. Our church doesn't have a chance. Our city doesn't have a chance. And so here, very simple, this is what I want to invite you to. And again, this is always invitation, never imposition, okay? This is never like, you better do this. This is all, always invitation. Or like another way of saying it is you don't have to keep the Sabbath. You get to keep the Sabbath. This is a gift. You get to keep it. And so really, there, there are two options for us here. And I'll go into a little bit of what the Sabbath looks like. The first is that from Saturday evening, 6 p.m. or sundown, uh, to Sunday evening, that as a church, we know that other people around the city are practicing the Sabbath to stop. Or if that rhythm doesn't work for you, Friday evening at 6 p.m. to Saturday evening, 6 p.m. And if none of that works for you because you have different jobs and schedules, then you figure out a 24-hour period where that works. And so I, I want to just uh, take you, what does it look like to keep the Sabbath? What does it look like? I want to I paint the picture for our family, how do we keep the Sabbath in Queens, New York City? And this is something that I've been uh, practicing and struggling with and wrestling with and entering into the gift of it for the last eight years now, okay? And so this is how the, the Sabbath must begin with preparation. This is a how-to guide to keeping the Sabbath, with preparation. Preparate. You prepare to enter into the Sabbath. And so you do your best to do, to do everything beforehand that constitutes work 
that, you know, if I'm doing this on the Sabbath, this is terrible. So dishes, you, you do the dishes before Sabbath. Because you know, for some of you, washing dishes, you might as well just stick pins in your eyes. You know, it's just like, like uh, you want me to do what? So before the Sabbath, you take a few moments to just wash the, or laundry. Some of you, some people say, but Fritz, what if laundry gives me joy? You must be filled with the spirit if laundry gives you joy. For those of us that laundry does not give you joy, you do laundry beforehand because what's going to happen on the Sabbath, you're going to realize, I don't have any clean clothes. Now I got to do the laundry. And then and, and you're upset, you're irritable. It's just upset. You want to prepare. And as a case in point, just a side note here, I read an article recently that said that those people that start the Sabbath for the first time, for the first 24 hours, experience great irritability and great anger. And so just, so if you try it and you're like really angry, and you're like, I'm just so angry on the Sabbath. This is normal. This is just, this is very normal. It's not normal for like, if you do it three weeks in a row. The first day though, typically, because what you're doing is it's exposing all of the attachments to work. I can't, it's like, it's like I can't have chocolate. When you can't have chocolate, like you're irritable. I have my coffee, I'm irritable. When you don't do work, it, something comes up inside of you. So if you're irritable and you're upset, it's normal, okay? Just, just give yourself a break for a couple of weeks. By the third week, you should be getting a little bit of joy should be infused into you there. So you want to prepare. Do everything you can. I typically delete email that my apps that connect me to work on my phone because I know... My, I, it's not even like I want to do it. My body is just oriented towards checking my phone. I don't make a conscious decision to check my phone. I just, uh, I, I, it just happens, and I realize I'm checking my phone. I didn't want to do this, and, and I'm just checking. So I just delete all emails because I'm tempted to do work on the Sabbath. It's not like I enter the Sabbath, I'm just like, okay, Lord, I'm here in your presence. No, I'm tempted to do work just like you would be tempted to do work. So this preparation. Second is there is you welcome the Sabbath. You welcome the Sabbath. And you might want to light a candle on your dining room table or your kitchen table. And the reason why we light a candle is for two reasons. Number one, it, it's, it sets in motion. Okay, it has begun. But the second thing it does, it reminds me of God's presence. Because so often I'm thinking about work. So often I'm thinking about, I forgot to send that email. This is terrible. And when I look at that candle, it reminds me, it's okay. You can rest. You'll address that tomorrow. And so it's a reminder of God's presence. From time to time, we begin with a Sabbath prayer. And I'm going to be posting this all online this week, so don't worry if you can't capture all this. A Sabbath prayer. And listen to one Sabbath prayer from a book of common prayer that I just love. It says, Lord of resurrection. While I just lit the candle, Lord of resurrection, may we be raised into the rhythm of your new life, dead to deceitful calendars, dead to fleeting friend requests, dead to the empty peace of our accomplishments. To our packed full planners, we bid peace. To our over-caffeinated consciousness, we say cease. To our suffocating selves, Lord, grant release. Drowning in a sea of deadlines and death chimes, we rest in you, our lifeline. By, you ever, by your ever-restful grace, allow us to enter your Sabbath rest as your Sabbath rest enters into us. In the name of our creator, our liberator, our resurrection, and life, we pray, amen. What you're doing, you're saying, God, for the next 24 hours, as I enter into Sabbath, may your rest enter into me. May your rest enter into me. And you might want to begin with the Sabbath meal. May we invite some friends over. Enjoy a meal together, celebrating the goodness of food. 
And for you young parents, I just want to say this. Uh, when the Sabbath begins, it's not like a, 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 there's no magic that happens that your kids all of a sudden start behaving well on the Sabbath, all right? <laughs> I, I wish you would. So as Sabbath began, and the kids would just fold their hands. No, <laughs> demons come out on the Sabbath. It's just like, sit down, what are you doing here? It's just like, so eat your food. So just another thing just to take note of. But you want to just a meal together, a meal. And then you want to do these three things. And then I'll, I'll close here. You, you, it's about resting and not rushing. It's a day of resting and not rushing. So many of us, we are so accustomed to rushing. We don't have to be anywhere. We're still rushing. This morning, I'm, I'm like running up the stairs. I'm just like, I'm on time. What am I, why am I running up the stairs? I'm all sweaty. I'm like 30 minutes before I'm supposed to be there. It's a day of resting and not rushing. On the Sabbath, we go to a restaurant. And I might have mentioned this before. After I wash my hands, put my hand under the air dryer on the Sabbath. And I actually wait until the air dryer dries my hands. <laughs> I actually stay there. How many of you stay there until it dries your hands? Be honest, none of you, none of you, none of you. It's just you wash it and it's like, ah, forget about it. I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. <laughs> all over your hands. I gotta go, I gotta go. On the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath. It's and then there's a line behind me. And then I just look back and I go, it's the Sabbath, you know? I'm resting, I'm not rushing. On the Sabbath, I do my best, and God knows I have to, God has to help me here, you know, of, eat, of actually eating and chewing my food. And Rosie reminds me, it's the Sabbath. Chew your food. Chew your food. Taste your food. Taste your food. Because I'm usually just, I, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. On the Sabbath, we actually taste our food. On the Sabbath, we actually rest. On the Sabbath, there is no rushing. On the Sabbath, you might want to drive on the right lane as opposed to the left. The Sabbath also is about praying, praying. And we do things uh, that connect us to God. So it might be scripture, worship. This is why I recommend actually that we do the Sabbath as, if, as much as you can from Saturday night to Sunday night because this becomes part of your Sabbath experience. You're worshiping together now. We're praying, we're in worship, we're hearing scripture. This is a part of our Sabbath. And so that, that you're praying, and then finally, we're playing. Eugene Peterson said that Sabbath can be reduced to two words, praying and playing. Praying and playing. If all you're doing is like, I can't do this, I can't, and all you're doing is like, you're praying all day, there's no playing, there's no delight, then we need to start all over. Because the Sabbath is to infuse us with the, what gives you joy. Do what gives you joy. What brings you rest? Do what, br what brings you rest. It's a day of playing. It's a day of delight. And most of the time, we, we are such a, when, the older we get, the more delight deficient we become. And this is why when you look at children, you don't have to teach children how to play. You don't have to teach children how to delight. When I take my daughter Karis to the park, I just say, now there are three things I want you to know before you play. Number one, when you slide, no, no, she already knows, it's in her. It's just that the older we get, the more delight deficient we become. And so how, how do we reinfuse joy and play 
and delight into our Sabbath. And so I want to invite the worship team to come forward, and I want to close with this here. The Sabbath might be one of the greatest pictures of the gospel, and here's why. On the Sabbath, you accomplish nothing. On the Sabbath, you don't perform anything. And even though you never accomplish anything, God still loves you. What a beautiful picture. I don't do anything. And God still loves me. Because my identity is not based on my work. My identity is based on the love of God. And so for some of you, you hear 24 hours, you hear, that's terrible, Pastor Rich. 24 hours. You might want to start with 12 or whatever it is. Pace yourself. But ultimately, God has a gift for us to enter into Sabbath rest. I am loved, therefore I am. The Sabbath reminds me of the love of God, that my identity is in his love, not in my work. So I want to invite you to just close your eyes for a moment, and we'll have a song of just response, of just receiving the love of God. Lord, I pray for us this day. Lord, so many of us are so exhausted and so tired and irritable. And Lord, what we desperately need is to enter into your rest, to receive your love, to make a practice of meeting you in this simple act of stopping and resting, delighting and contemplating. So Lord, I pray that as a church community, a New Life Fellowship Church, that you would help us to keep Sabbath together that you would reorient us, you would fill us with love and grace. And Lord, we sing to you now words of worship, words of gratitude. Lord, on this Pentecost Sunday, do what only you can do in us. Change us, restore us, help us to enter into your rest. We pray this in Jesus' name, everyone said. Let's all stand and sing together. We live in the city that never sleeps. 24 hours, seven days a week. And the powers and principalities suck us into this life. And we realize, why am I so irritated? Why am I so angry? Why am I so irritable? Might it be that we have not received this gift that God has for us of rest, of deep rest, rest for our souls? And so I believe that God wants to use this to infuse joy into us, joy into our lives. And so I have our prayer team here. Maybe you're just physically exhausted, and maybe you realize that your exhaustion is deeper than just a physical exhaustion. There, there is an unrest beneath the unrest. And Jesus wants to deal with that unrest beneath the, the unrest of anxiety. Some of you are just so anxious. You're so worried and you realize, I just don't need a nap. I need something more than a nap. I need the deep rest that only Jesus can give. Rest from my soul, rest from anxiety, rest from worry, rest from frantic, rest from restlessness. And so we have our prayer team here that would love to pray for you, that Jesus would give you the deep rest that you need, more than just a nap. And some of you just need a nap, all right? And so, so I pray that today you are able to go home and take a nap, all right? And just enjoy the presence of God 
in that as well. And so you can come up for prayer of whatever needs you have. We have the Lord's table to my left. Uh, Jesus was broken and bruised so that you might be whole and healed. So you can receive that as well. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands uh, towards heaven to receive a blessing that God may give you deep rest this week. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with his peace and rest. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, encountering the rest of God, the deep abiding joy of God, the peace of God. And out of that deep rest, uh, may you offer joy and power and grace to the world around you. And so I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said, Amen. Grace and peace, everybody.